I appreciate your prayers. Thank the Lord. God bless you. When uh, we're praying for one another, we're helping one another, aren't we? I'd like you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. There's one verse I want to begin with in the 30th chapter. I'm doing well, as a matter of fact, very well, but I had a bad fall the other night, and I'm trying to deal with it, so be patient with me. I'll be all right. Evelyn's especially concerned. Uh, how many of you were there and saw me fall? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it's a little frightening. But we're all praying for one another. First Samuel chapter 30. This passage of scripture, this portion actually, I think it'd be more correct in saying, it's about the life of David and how God is dealing with him. How the Lord shows him what he needs. When we come to the 30th chapter, we have God working in David's life in the area of Ziklag. Ziklag. You could never think about David, speak of David, study the life of David and not include what happened to David at Ziklag. He finds himself on the wrong side. He's joined forces with the Philistines of all things. God spoke to David, raised him up, let him know when Samuel, the prophet, came to visit him when he was a very young man that he was destined someday to be the king of Israel. How would you like to face that as a teenage young man, as a young person, to be told on the authority of God's man that you were born to be the king of Israel and in God's proper time, you were going to become king what do you imagine would happen in your life between that announcement and you reigning as the king of Israel and the most beloved king in the history of Israel? Well, that's David's life. Well, I want to tell you, if I don't have an opportunity to say anything else than this, is that you cannot become what God wants you to become unless the Lord allows you to go through Ziklag. Ziklag is a geographical location, but it's the place where David became acquainted more than ever with the strength of the Lord and with his weakness. So many things in the Old Testament are helped, help with us explain them in New Testament passages when we deal with our weakness and his strength. Remember Paul's testimony when he wrote that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Everyone should have dreams and ideas. The world may call them ambitions. 
things you want to try to accomplish. You're no different from that. I'm no different from that. These are goals we trust are godly goals and our goals should pass certain tests. The tests they pass or the things that prove that the right kind of goals is whether or not they'll honor the Lord. Will God be glorified? Will people hear about the Lord Jesus because of that particular thing we're thinking about? But in, in working with these things, we always want to stay on the bright side. At least we think that way. Who wants to find them play, themselves in a place where everybody wants to kill them? Where it seems like your life is over. And the thing that you want most in life appears is the furthest thing from what's really happening in your life. I wish I could take the time to explain the background of this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But just remember, if you'll turn just a few pages back in your Bible to David's episode with Goliath. And when David fought him, and before that, in the 16th chapter, where Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. That was a turning point in David's life. David had been a shepherd boy, obeying his father, being a good brother. But one day the man of God showed up and he was looking for a king. And one of the sons of David's household was going to be that next king. And when God was looking for a king, he found one in what the brothers would have thought would be the least likely prospect. And when he went through all the sons he said, are there others here? And well, with just one, the runt of the family, the boy that has the responsibility of taking care of the sheep while all the rest of us are doing men's work. And Samuel said, fetch him. And he said, I'll go get him. They got David. He came running breathlessly up into the presence of the prophet Samuel. And when Samuel saw him, he said, this is God's man. This is the man God has chosen to be the king of Israel. And when you read that first anointing that the prophet gave to David, the Bible says, when the Lord touched David, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David. If we talked about the spirit of the Lord coming upon him, there are many things we could say, but something supernatural happened to David. 
I believe David knew something in his heart that God was going to do with his life. And you'd imagine that all the necessary preliminary things would begin to happen. But what kind of training does a person go through to become the king of Israel? What kind of things does God allow in the heart of the man he's chosen to be king? And that's what you're going to read as you read the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, if you'll turn through there with me. And you see what the Lord did and the victory that God gave to David, delivering the whole army of Israel. And the death of Goliath, the giant's dead. Now what happens? David's encounter with the family of Saul the ins and outs of David's life, the experiences David went through. So many tender things. But you don't expect the failure that you begin to find in 1 Samuel, in the chapters 27, 28, 29, and 30. But when you get to chapter 30, if you're going to send a committee out to get a king, you're not going to get the same man that Samuel the prophet chose because what's happened to him? What has happened to him? He has to be delivered from himself, from his own devices. He finds himself living in a place called Ziklag going on these missions with a group of people who have surrounded him. He's got an army of 600, which is nothing compared to the armies of the Philistines or the army of the Malachites. These fighting men who've joined with David. And while they're out on one of their missions, they come back and Ziklag has been destroyed by the Amalekites. Everything's been burned. Their loved ones have been taken. And they can only imagine what these loved ones may have to do to be enslaved by their captors. And the Bible says, when you read on into the 30th chapter, that the people said, David's responsible for all of this. He's the biggest failure among us. Just a little while earlier, he was the great champion and the greatest success. But the Bible says the people then talked of stoning him. And when you come to the third verse in chapter 30, the Bible says, so David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Imagine that, all family gone. You've lost everything. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. They didn't just weep. The Bible says at the concluding of verse four in chapter 30, until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been with anybody who's so spent they don't have anything left? And their tears have flowed 
And now they can't even cry anymore. They don't have any power left in them to weep. And the Bible says, and David's two wives were taken captive. And the word of God says in verse six, and David was greatly distressed and rightly so. For the people spake of stoning him. Think of it. The people who had rallied to him, who knew that David was something special, that God had anointed him, now are talking about stoning him. And the people thought of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man grieved for his sons, grieved for his daughters. And the word of God says in the concluding of verse six, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. When all you have is the Lord, you find out he's all you need. Now David thought anything and everything was at his fingertips. But now he's broken. Ziklag did it to him. All the energy and strength he had, his giant killing ability is now diminished and they want to get rid of him. The leader Get rid of him. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I want to give you these thoughts. And I want you to know how it comes out. The Bible says in verse 18 of chapter 30, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. There'll be times in your life when you think everything is gone. But God is just delivering you. He's delivering you from yourself, from your own ingenuity, from what you think about your ability, and he's bringing you to the place where you recognize your great need of God. Now, so many years ago, when I came here as the pastor, I brought a sermon to you on what God does at Ziklag. And I entitled it, What the Lord Does is Get Us to Jerusalem, but the road to Jerusalem, the capital city, the place where David would reign as king, the road to Jerusalem travels through Ziklag. And that was a one-time message. I don't imagine, I don't think I have a record of ever speaking on that subject again, but the truth of the matter is, Ziklag will become a part of our lives. And again and again, God will bring us there to the end of ourselves to see how desperately we need him. I want to share some verses with you. I want you to take the time, please, to turn with them. In the book of Proverbs, the word of God says in the 15th chapter of Proverbs, in verse 33, the fear of the Lord is is the instruction of wisdom. And notice carefully how God words the last part of this verse. 
in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 33. And before honor is humility. Let's say that together. Before honor is humility. People want honor, but God says before honor is humility. You've got to come to the end of yourself and see God for who he is and see yourself and how desperately you need the Lord. Turn please to the Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12. The Bible says, interestingly enough, in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. If you've never gone through the destruction, if you've never had your ziklag, if you've never had your followers talk of stoning you, your heart is haughty. And then God says in the last part of verse 12, and before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. Maybe all of you have memorized the great revival verse, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways, then, then, will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. But there must be a humbling. What is it to be humbled? What does it mean to be humbled? Is it to be spent? There's more than that. Many people are weak and spent, but it didn't bring humility. But God's goal in your life and my life is for us to humble ourselves. Turn with me, please, to the book of James. In the book of James, chapter 4, it's because the Lord desires to use us that he tells us, in James, chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You want to get rid of the devil? Resist him. Resist him. That's a fight. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, God can't lift us up and use us like he wants to because of us. It's only when we humble ourselves before God, when we see God for who he really is and we see ourselves for who we really are and how desperately how desperately we need the Lord. May God help us. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing 
happen unto you. In other words, the word means God is letting something happen to me that doesn't belong with me. I wish I could take you, and there's no sense in boring you to death with it. I wish I could take you with me into the medical office and hear the doctor say, you're, you're finished. You're finished. This was so many years ago. 30 years ago. He said, you're gonna have to find something else to do with your life. It's impossible for you to do what you're doing. You cannot do what you're doing. And to another doctor, he says it will take more than 30 years of surgeries, repeated surgeries, to straighten your back up. It's the worst I've ever seen. Now let me ask you something. What do you think that sounds, how do you think that sounds to a man who wants to give all of his life to God and do everything with his life the Lord's put in his heart to do? It sounds like the two things cannot go together. But then you learn what the real gifts from God are. And God can only be exalted when we see how desperately we need him. And that's what my story is about. The Lord bring me to the place of desperately needing him. May God help us. And if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Let me ask you something. What is your part? What do you say from your heart about the Lord and his dealings with your life? You can't control what they say. But you can control what you say. And on our part, we ought to give him glory and praise and thank him for everything he allows because he's not working against us, he's working for us to deliver us from ourselves, from our own ingenuity, from our own plans to his plan and his way of doing things. Humble yourselves.